Remember last week, they, the Israelites had crossed the Jordan River. They're going into the promised land. They have their swords drawn, and they were gonna, they're going to take the promised land. And God says, no, 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 no. You're going to use those swords to circumcise yourself first. Ouch. That was last week, all right? Now we're going back. We're, we're, okay, that's where they are. They're healing in the camp. Let's go back. Before they crossed the Jordan, Joshua did something. So now they're still in the desert. They did something before they crossed the Jordan. Go. Okay. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land. That was great, by the way. Well done. Go ahead. I'm sorry. He said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute. That sticks in your mouth. I know. A prostitute. (laughs) Picked a great passage for a young reader. I'm sorry. Rutherford's, I'm sorry, you'll have a long afternoon family meeting, but keep going. <laughs> Named Rehab and stayed there. Okay, stop right there. So he sent two spies, captured this. So two guys are commissioned to swim across the Jordan River, go into Jericho, which they're going to attack in a few chapters, and go scope it out. So the first thing they do is they go to a prostitute's house named Rahab. Does that strike anybody odd in here? Okay. All right. Keep reading. Okay. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent the message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. Okay. Now here's what's happened. The, The spies have come into town. Word has gotten out somehow, because if the king is heard, then everybody knows, because the king's always the last one to know. So he sends messengers now to Rahab's house saying, hey, Rahab, we, we've heard that spies have come into town from the guys on the other side of the Jordan River. We want them. Keep going. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when they, it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had hid out on the roof. So the men sent out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the persuaders had gone out, the gate was shut. Okay, so here's what's happened. The king heard the spies were in town and they were at Rahab's house. So the king sent his men over to Rahab's house. Rahab heard the king's men were coming. What's going on here? This must be a small town. It's really a very small town. And so Rahab has hidden all the guys up in the roof, knowing that the, car, the king's guards were coming, okay? So they get to the door. She lies to them, and she goes, no, they were here, but then they left. I think they went that way. And the guards said, hey, she's a prostitute. She must be telling the truth. <laughs> okay, keep going. <clears throat> Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are meddling in fear because of you. Okay, stop right there. Listen to what she just said. I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Underline that. Underline that. Okay, keep going. We have heard now, or we have heard how the Lord died of the water of the Red Sea. For when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites. Oh, you did great with those two words, by the way. Anyway, keep going. That's awesome. 
whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above all of the earth and below. And then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness unto my family because I have shown kindness unto er, to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all whom belong to them, and that you will be that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. You don't tell what we are if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the world or when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window from the house she lived in a, was part of the city wall. Now she said unto them, Go to the hills so the persuaders will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Okay, so here's what's happened. So she went up to the roof and she goes, We know that your Lord is the Lord of all, all heaven and all earth. Now here's the deal. I've saved you, you save us. And they said, life for life. We promise, if you keep your mouth shut, when we come back and take the city, we'll spare your life. So she lowers them out of the window, because her house was a part of the wall, lowered them down and said, go up to the hills for three days and wait till the soldiers come back and then make your escape. So. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you had let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath and that you made us swear. Excellent. Well done. Hey. Give that guy a cup of coffee or something. Hot chocolate. So, uh, so you hear the rest of the story. She lowers them down and they say to her, okay, here's the deal. This scarlet rope that you're lowering us down out of the window you hang it from the window inside of Jericho our soldiers will know that's your house and everyone that's in the house that is covered by the scarlet ribbon will be saved that sounds a little reminiscing of Passover doesn't it put this mark on your doorpost and you'll be saved it's remarkable how the themes of scripture are so similar and how God keeps giving us messages even in obscure ways about the resurrection the death resurrection life of Jesus Christ but let's dive into this for a minute, because last week uh, I was flipping channels and I came across MTV's Sweet 16. Have any of y'all ever seen this? Yes, we have one. The rest of you have all seen it, you just don't want to admit it because it's the grossest show on the planet. It's the story about a father and his wife, they're, evidently they're all over the country, who throw these extravagant Sweet 16 parties for their daughters that are turning 16. And they, you know, they rent out country clubs. They bring in like dancing horses and clowns and bears. I mean, you do all these extravagant things. They spend thousands. They buy them brand new cars. They do all this stuff to celebrate their little girl turning sweet, sweet 16. And it's kind of gross. You know what I mean? Is that that extravagant kind of outrageous, ridiculous 
kind of expression of love kind of grosses us out because we look at that girl and we go, you know, ugh. And you know what's funny about that is that it kind of grosses us out that somebody has turned her into such a princess. Except, of course, when that kind of extravagant love is expressed on us. I mean, think about it, you know. Have you ever uh, found your parents' love letters of when they were dating? Have any of y'all had, ever had that experience where you were a young person? And I'm not talking about now because maybe now you have more balance in your life. But back then when you were a teenager, you're reading these mushy, ushy love letters of where your parents were dating and about to get married or they're first married. And you read them and you go, gross. Like, mom, did you really kiss dad? Like, ugh. You know, it's kind of gross for us to imagine that our parents were like stupid in love, like ridiculous in love, like, you know, pined away for one another and just couldn't wait to sit up all night long and talk to one another. Because we have this image now of our parents where they're in bed by 8.30 and they snore. But when it comes to you writing love letters to the person that you love, it's not gross. And when it comes to you receiving love letters from people that you want to get love letters from, it's not gross. It's endearing. It's powerful. It makes your heart sing, doesn't it? It's that great scene from Pretty Woman. You remember when he takes her to the store and he says, we're going to buy you all new clothes. And the clerk, what is it that he says to the guy? He says, we need some serious sucking up here. And says to him, you know, uh, we're going to spend a lot of me, a lot of money. And the clerk says, just how obscene amount of cash are we talking about here? Profane, profane or really obscene? And he goes, really obscene? You know, we think about that and we think, wouldn't it be great to be on the receiving end of that? Someone who cherishes us so much that they would be so extravagant with their love for us. And that's what I want you to hear today. The first fruit of walking as leaders is that we get to witness firsthand. We're in the first car on the roller coaster. We're on the front row of the theater. We're on the front lines of the story of seeing God's extravagant love because our God is extravagant with his love because we can look at this story and we can say, well, Rahab was a prostitute and that she was a streetwalker. And when she heard what these guys had done, uh, over in the desert, and she saw, hey, this army's going to come over and destroy Jericho. She's just going to jump ship and get on the winning team. That all she is, is she's an opportunist that's looking for her own protection, for her own advantage, for her own way of getting out of the situation. And that would be a reasonable thing to think about, but if it wasn't for Hebrews chapter 11. Because when we jump to the New Testament, and we jump to the to the story uh, in Hebrews of all these great people of faith from Moses to Abraham to the list goes on and on and on. Right there in the middle of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31, we see the name of Rahab, a prostitute. And what do we see? Listen to this. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Here's what I want you to hear. Rahab did not do what she did because she was trying to get a better advantage than the one that she had. She did what she did because she had faith. When faith gets mixed in to your journey, it's going to mess things up. I'm promising you. 
because it changes things around. What do we understand about that? In Ephesians chapter 2, if you have time this afternoon, you can go and read it. It says that faith is not our gift to God. It's not like we come with a pocket full of faith or we spend our whole lifetime building up faith and then we come to God and we go, look, I'm going to trade you all this faith for all your blessings. That's not the story. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that faith is a gift from God. It's not of us. And faith is that gift that God gives us to where we can supernaturally receive the grace of God. Faith enables me to have the capacity to receive the gifts of God. The Lord gives it to me. Well, what does that mean in the story of Rahab? If Rahab has faith, and faith is a gift from God, then we have to conclude that Rahab had faith because God gave her faith. I mean, think about it for a second. This trip into Jericho had nothing to do with the story. Matter of fact, we skipped over it for a whole month and nobody even noticed. Because it's not integral to the plot. Matter of fact, the information the spies got when they went into Jericho, they never even used it. Because we're going to talk about next you know, week where they just walk around the city walls for seven days and it crumbles down. They didn't need the spies in Jericho. What was going on? Why did God send spies into Jericho? He was extravagant because it was the extravagant move of God that he had a daughter in Jericho that he had to rescue. Isn't that extravagant? Doesn't that seem a bit extreme? To risk two men's lives, to upset a king, to get the buzz of a whole city going, a rope, scarlet, you know, war, just to rescue one of his daughters? Last May, this uh, girl came up to me at the end of a service, and she introduced herself. I'd never met her before, and I don't, I, I, I'm sure I'll never meet her again. She goes, hey, I'm getting ready to move because I'm graduating from Vanderbilt, but I've been going here for, uh, for the last three years. When I was a sophomore, I started coming here, and I just wanted to tell you that I, I've become a believer through coming here to Midtown, and God has really grown me in understanding his grace, and I just wanted to thank you. And she hugged me, and she walked away. And uh, so I'm driving home, and I'm just thinking about that. And, uh, and I'm just talking to the Lord about it. And this thought came into my mind as if from the Lord. What if it was all about her? We started Midtown when she was a freshman in high school. And what if we spent five years getting ready for her? And the three years that she was here, it was all about her. What? And the Lord said, are you okay with that? And I just laughed while I was driving in the car because that's the kind of God that we serve, that he is extravagant. He is ridiculously extravagant. I'm just telling you, he goes to me, he's like, some of you are here this morning, you don't even know why you're here this morning. Maybe you're here to keep somebody happy in your life. Maybe your parents are visiting from out of town and you're trying to convince them that you go to church. (laughs) Parents, they do, they go to church. And they have pledged you for thousands of dollars to Midtown. God bless you. The offering buckets are in the back. 
That's how he works. I mean, when we look in the New Testament, we see Jesus and the woman at the well. Maybe you've never read that story. He's passing through a place. He took a road that he did not have to take. He took the long way around and found himself at a Samaritan well with a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and currently was living with a guy. I mean, in all stretches of the imagination, here was a New Testament prostitute standing in front of Jesus. And guess what he said to her that he had not said to anybody else in his history up to that point? He had not said this to anybody. And now he's looking at a woman whose reputation is wrecked, who who nobody respects, who is a, a relational train wreck, all right? And she's looking at him and he goes, I am the Messiah. He saved those words for the woman at the well. Why? I just love this because he went the long way around because God had a daughter at the woman at the well. He had a daughter at the well that Jesus had to find. Yeah. See, God's crazy about his kids. And I just want to say this and be as bold as I can. Women in this room, he especially is crazy about you. Men, get over it. I think God loves them more. And the reason I think he loves them more is because they're braver than we are. Let me explain. I don't know if any of y'all have read Greg Mortensen's books, Three Cups of Tea or Stones to Schools, a guy who's planted uh, all kinds of schools in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Uh, They plant schools to educate girls because what they've come to realize, educate a man... It'll change his life. Educate a woman, and she will change her village. Rahab knew, and everyone knew, that the spies were there. But it was only Rahab who said, when we heard it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Everybody said that, but it was only Rahab who said, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You hear that? She's saying, I know your God is the real God, and I'm going to throw myself at his mercy. That's what she did. It sounds a lot like when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you know, you're Christ. You're the son of the living God. And what did he say to Peter? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. It was God who brought the revelation to Peter. It was God who brought the revelation to Rahab. It was God that was working before any spy ever showed up on the doorstep of Jericho. As leaders, we get to witness and experience the extravagant love of our Father. We get to see it. We get to be wowed by it. We get to be blown away when we hear people say, I love the Lord. Because the only way they can say that, the only way I can say that, is if the Lord of heaven has revealed that. So what happens? Extravagant love doesn't just wallow in itself like a sweet 16 party. Okay? Uh, Because that's not what Rahab does. Extravagant love, when we taste it, when we experience it, when we step into it, because many of you in this room have said, okay, all right, I get it, I get it. I got an extravagant love story. I can tell my extravagant love story. I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved. Woohoo! All right? But Rahab didn't just let that extravagant love just camp her out in a stuck place. Extravagant love always expresses itself in faith. Now, what I mean by this, God was doing something. 
But then this is what's explosive, is that Rahab took her life and her actions and she married them with what God was doing. And whenever we do that, it is dangerously explosive. When we marry our life, our commitments, our convictions, our values, our resources, when we marry those to the reality of what God is doing in our lives, hang on. The first thing that we see, you know, well, let me say this. James said, faith without works is dead. It was Martin Luther who put it a little differently, and he said, we're saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. So Rahab married works to her faith. How did she do that? The first thing I want you to write down is this. A Rahab kind of faith is a faith that takes risks. Faith always takes risk. Let me explain. I mean, Rahab was hiding the spies. She risked her life. She risked her family's life. She, she lied to the king, you know? She was risking everything that she had. And it's the wild nature of faith. It is the wild nature of faith that when we take all that we are and we marry it to all that he's doing, it risks everything. It does. It's wild. It's out of control. It's like our hearts. Our hearts are a wild and dangerous land, and it's only a fool who tries to tame it. And when we try to tame our faith, and we try to put it in a box, and we try to turn it into something we call Christian that kind of feels like, you know, when you don't really throw up, but you kind of burp, and it just kind of gets stuck in the back of your throat, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? No? Okay. Sorry. That's what we call faith without works is it pretends to be something it's not, but it smells a little rotten. I know, that was such an awesome illustration. I just thought of that. That's not in my notes. Because when we marry all that we are with all that he's doing, he always takes us to places that we're in over our head. He always does. I'm not kidding you. Try being called by God to be married. Bingo. You're already in over your head. All right? But let's take it to a real uh, term. I was reading this week about Corey Timboom. Maybe you've read about her. She was a Dutch Christian, and her and her family were part of the Dutch resistance. And they had dedicated their lives to helping Jews escape Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. So they would hide them in their house, they had safe houses. Her, her father, her mother, her sisters. They all worked diligently because by faith, they believed that God was working in this community and was calling them to risk everything in their lives by faith, to marry it with what God was doing by giving them conviction to serve that they dedicated their lives to helping these Jews. Well, it didn't take long before their, their whole family was arrested. They were caught and they were thrown in concentration camps. Her father died in a concentration camp. So did her sister. Her sister, Betsy, this is what she told Carrie on her deathbed, or Corey. There is no pet. Now, I want to paint the picture. This is a woman who's dying in a concentration camp because she had taken her life and said, I'm going to marry the works to the reality of what God is doing with me, and I'm going to bring them together and risk everything. And now she's dying on her deathbed in a concentration camp. These are the words out of her mouth. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously. 
There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Do you hear a woman who's screaming on her deathbed the extravagant love of my father? How can she do that when she's dying in a concentration camp? See, Corey was released on New Year's Eve on December of 1944, which she later learned that her release had been a clerical error. Right. Then she realized a week after she was released, all the women her age in the camp she was in was killed. This is what she said. God does not have problems, only plans. Extravagant love frees us to extravagant faith. Corey also said, it's not my ability, but my response to God's ability that counts. So I'm asking you, do you believe that? Have you tasted the extravagant love of your father that Rahab tasted? And if you have, what is God asking you to risk for your faith? What is he saying? Hey, marry all that you have with all that I'm doing. Bring them together. Where is he asking you to risk? I mean, seriously, where is he leading you that you're so in over your head that if God doesn't show up, it ain't going to happen? Where? Second, faith and hope. It was a month before they showed up at Jericho. So Rahab, every day, is walking in and out of a door with a scarlet rope hanging down from that window. And there was something that everybody in that, in that city was experiencing, and that was their hearts were melting because they knew the day was coming where the Israelites were going to kill them, invade their land, except for Rahab. Rahab lived under something very different. She had hope, and what was the hope based on? Somebody had committed a promise to her. Our lives for your life. Remember that? She was a woman that lived in the promise. In the New Testament, we understand this a little differently. Since we have three, these promises, not three. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness holiness out of reverence for God. What promises do we have? Scripture goes on to tell us that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. If God has extravagantly poured out his love unto me through his son, Jesus Christ, every promise of Scripture is yes to me. That's a lot. And so now, like Rahab, my faith just doesn't take me into those places where I risk it, because it's really no risk at all, but it also takes me to be outrageously a person that lives in hope. What does that mean? You may not know Cornell West. Does anybody know Cornell West here? Wow. You guys go to YouTube and click on Cornell West and he will blow your mind. Uh, He's, I think, probably 45 now, but when he wrote this, he was 39. He's a black man who has a lot to say and he's also a believer, but he may not be in the tradition of your believing. Listen to what he said. Last but not least, There's a need for audacious hope. He's talking about hope here. And it's not optimism. I'm in no way an optimist. I've been black in America for 39 years. No grounds for optimism here. Given the progress and regress and three steps forward and four steps backwards, optimism is a notion that there's sufficient evidence that would allow us to infer that if we keep doing what we're doing, things will get better. Let me read that again. Optimism is a notion that there's sufficient evidence that would allow us to infer that if we keep doing what we're doing, things will get better. I don't believe that. 
I'm a prisoner of hope. I'm a prisoner of hope. That's something else. Cutting against the grain and against the evidence. William James says it so well in that grand and masterful essay of his in 1879 called The Sentiment of Rationality. When he talked about faith being the courage to act when doubt is warranted. Faith is being the courage to act when doubt is warranted. And that's what I'm talking about. A hope that gives birth to a faith that has the courage to act. We don't risk so that we can say we live risky lives. We're adventurers. No, we risk because we dare to live as those with hope. Because what does hope do? Romans 5 tells us that, that we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because suffering produces character. Character produces perseverance. Perseverance produces hope. And what does hope do? Right there in chapter 5, it says, it reveals that God is pouring out his love into our hearts. Hope pulls back the curtain so that I can see the extravagant love of my Father. And then finally, faith changes us. And we partner with everything that we have with the change that God's bringing about in our lives. What do I mean by this? And hang with me because we're almost through. Rahab quit being a prostitute. When she married faith with the revelation and the work of God, she allowed her life to be changed and she stopped becoming a prostitute. And you say, well, how do you know that? That's not in the story. Write this down, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. It's Matthew's gospel of Jesus Christ. And he starts the whole gospel with talking about the lineage of Jesus. Here is the pedigree of Jesus. Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab got married, and she had a son, and his name was Boaz. And you know what we refer to Boaz as? He is the kinsman redeemer. He was the redeemer of Ruth. He was the man that was raised to have such a respect for women such a love and an honor for strong women because his mama was strong and he respected Ruth and he redeemed her. And as a result, it wasn't that just Rahab stopped becoming a prostitute. Solomon, you know who his father was? The king of Judah. She didn't just marry a man, she became a princess. She became the prince of Judah, the princess of Judah. And it's better than that. She became the great-great-grandmother of Jesus himself. You know, when you think about that, and you think about your own life right now, do you believe that when you take all that you have and you put it in faith of what God is doing inside of you, will you let yourself be changed? Will you change you? What do you tell yourself? Are you one of those people that says, who am I to have such faith? Who am I to have such hope? Who am I to have such courage? You know, Rahab was a whore. But after her encounter with God, she wore that name no more. Now she became a daughter. Now she became a princess. Now she became the great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah of the world. 
That's what Jesus did for her. That's what Jesus does for us. So I have three questions for you this morning, and then I'm through. Have you experienced that extravagant love of God? And if you have, where is he asking you to risk? Where is he asking you to hope? And where is he asking you to change? Now, I got to say this, and I know I'm going long, but stay with me, because the hardest, riskiest, dangerous, hopeful place that maybe you will ever go this morning as a result of your faith marrying with the work of God is to allow your name to be changed. I'm serious. Some of you are under the curse that somebody has given you that does not stick or function for you other than to curse and poison your life. You are whatever. Well, guess what? When Jesus comes in our lives, the old is gone, the new has come. And what is the new thing he comes? <laughs> this is great. He says, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You belong to God. We are joint heirs with Christ. Wow. Rahab, guess what? It's a whole room of Rahab's, isn't it? It's a whole city of Rahab's. Is God working? Yeah, it's extravagant. As leaders, we get to see it. We also get to experience it. Well, let's pray for just a second before we wrap up our service as a tradition here at Midtown. Before you run out of here, before you say hey and start all the stories, let's just be still before the Lord. We don't believe that truth is discovered here. We believe that truth is revealed. And we believe that the Lord brings revelation of himself through what we do, uh, and he's the one that's working, not us. So I'm going to ask you just to listen and respond. What we mean by that is we're going to get quiet just for a few minutes and give you time to wrestle with those questions. Do you know the extravagant love of the Father? If the answer is yes, you are blessed. And I would encourage you to answer the second question. How's he asking you to express your faith in risk, hope, and change? If you don't know the extravagant love of the Father, uh, wow. The Lord says, all who believe on me will never be disappointed. There are many in this room who can get up and give testimony to that and say, I've never been disappointed the day that I stepped into the fountain of his extravagant love. If that's where you need to be today, then, man, just cry out to him as Rahab did. Maybe come up here if you have questions. Let's talk after the service. Uh, stick around. A lot of people in this room that are, that are Rahab's. We're no longer whores. We are children of the living God. So let's use this time just to be still, quiet, and meditate.